0: Welcome to the Lot Carry Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Rev. Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emmanuel Goldley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School, and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, he's in conversation with Reverend Dr. Micah L. McQuery, president of New Brunswick Theological Seminary in New Brunswick, New Jersey.
1: We're excited to have a conversation today with Dr. Micah McQuery. He's the president of the New Brunswick Theological Seminary in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Prior to that, Dr. McCrary has been a pastor, a professor, a university administrator, a clinical psychologist, and now a seminary president. Welcome Dr. McCrary. We look forward to our conversation today.
2: It is great to be here with you. It's great to be here with you.
1: You're aware that more than 50 pastors have been on pilgrimage together toward flourishing in ministry. Our assumptions are that every round does not go higher and higher, that flourishing in ministry requires both striving and thriving, and that flourishing in ministry can be understood like a tree. Sometimes. There are leaves, sometimes there are blossoms. Sometimes the leaves may be falling away. Sometimes there are only branches, yet the tree can still be healthy and thriving. From your perspective as someone who's in ministry at his vocation in a variety of ways for a number of years, Can you describe for us what flourishing in ministry looks like to you?
2: Sure, I'd be glad to. Flourishing in ministry to me looks like something that impacts the community, something that really makes change, um, helps develop relationships, helps build success. That's what I look at as flourishing, When, when you can really look back and say, okay, for Jacqueline and I when we pastored Spring Creek that we started with 30 members and we ended with two businesses, um, two properties that were paid for in full, 19 acre property, 11 acre property, buildings there, um, membership at 700 plus. Um, And to look at those kind of things is an outward sign of it, of success. But to look at the way people in the community felt about us, felt about the church, thought about each other, to me, is how we really measure flourishing. We actually had a wonderful project with a Presbyterian church down the street called Bridge Builders, where we were already working on conversation between a white congregation and our African-American congregation. To me, that's flourishing, that's thriving.
1: We've been working with our pilgrim pastors on something that we call a formula for flourishing. We call it a formula, not the formula, but a formula for flourishing. And this formula holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus the service context yields ministry content, there is a higher probability for flourishing. Another way of saying it is that if if one's content is drawn out of capacity in context. That there's a higher probability for flourishing. No guarantee, but probability. So we do not assume that it makes sense to drag and drop ministry models that a pastor sees happening somewhere else. uh, Because after all, you do not expect a palm tree to flourish in Maine. So can you talk to us, about how your context of ministry service has informed your content of ministry?
2: I sure can. And, and thinking about that formula, it, it fits my life because I can't drag or drop me anywhere because I grew up fourth generation pastor um, and watching my dad and my granddad and seeing close up and personal, the struggles that they had, it wasn't something I wanted to do. And I wound up, you know, going to school for engineering and and becoming an engineer. And then family struggles with my brother going to jail for murder, pushed me to being a little bit more concerned about people again. And so I switched to to doing that. And so you got this piece of me that, you know, is a pastor, wants to be social, wants to deal with these issues, but struggling with that. And really over time learning that I fit better as a professor, Um, not because I liked it better than pastoring, but because my capacity really was around knowing people, understanding people, which of course came from studying psychology. And then the professorate kind of gave me the content Uh, of what it means to to help people change, to grow, to do the work as a clinician. And that then morphed back into how I pastor, because for me, like I said, it it was relational. And so the content of all that affects the context of me doing it. I, I can't operate as a pastor without considering what's going on within the individual, what's going on within the system, what's going on within the culture. That's, that's a part of my learning now. Um, and same way with being a, the presidency is probably more comfortable than anything else, because I could bring all those pieces to a seminary presidency. You know, where at the university as a president, they were always questioning, where's the spirituality piece? You know, what does that really fit? And so that context really didn't fit as well as this one does now. And so for me, it's, it's been all those pieces being morphed and molded and gelled together, it kind of makes me who I am now.
1: Sometimes when people talk about context, we think about physical location, but it sounds like you have a broader definition of context that includes, it does include location, but it's more than that, like systems and other things. Can you say a little more about how context means more than place?
2: yeah well it's it's contextualization so you can look at context as just where you are but it's also when you contextualize the environment that you're in so understanding that this is important to people how they move how they how they assemble i mean one of the reasons why we're having so much of a struggle i think around regathering with churches right now is because it's not the context of the building it's the contextualization of ministry in those buildings, in those spaces that people want to get to. It's the relational piece there um, that's really there. And that's the piece that, that I'm looking at when I use the term.
1: That's very, very, very helpful. Thank you for, uh, I guess we're getting glimpses of the clinical psychologists and the <laughs> yes. systems yes. thinking and stuff. <laughs> yes. uh, so, can you talk to us now a little more about capacity? So. Talk to us about how the capacity of a pastor contributes to the content Mm -hmm. of a pastor's ministry. So everybody can't do everything, but everybody can do something. So from your perspective and your long arc on working in a variety of ways, Mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about how the capacity of a pastor contributes to the content of that pastor's ministry
2: i think based up, for me based upon the formation of that pastor uh, is a piece i think we leave out a lot of times because if if your formation is like mine around psychology around family around helping people be better that becomes a part of your pastoring if your formation's around business and a lot of people who are second career ministers that's their formation then they're going to be much more business oriented in how they do the pastoring so for me that's there for example I'm, i'm talking to a doctoral class the other day about regathering and i'm like this is more than about masks you know and wearing a mask choosing not to wear a mask and we began to push deeper Till we got to how does worldview affect how these people are looking at the political issues? Because you, you know, based upon your worldview, you may wind up in one partic- particular political spectrum. And so, for me, being a psychologist strengthens my ability to be a pastor as long as I pay attention to that formation. If I ignore it, I think you create a conflict that really hinders both the formation and the application of who you are. You know, you you really can't do the job of a pastor well if you're struggling with, well, this is really who I am. And so that whole content context has to come together within and without in order for a person to really flourish.
1: If if there's a pastor and that pastor is in a certain context Mm -hmm. and the pastor recognizes that if I had a certain kind of capacity Mm-hmm. I might be able to contribute in a way but that's not my capacity.
2: Yeah. yeah. What
1: do you say to that pastor, should they leave find somewhere else, should they work on developing and growing? Yeah. How do you help how do you help a pastor in that situation?
2: From two things come to my mind right off the bat. One is to really work on developing a support system, whatever that means. So whether there's a mentor, a mentee, a community around them that really has been authorized to give input, that, that has been empowered to say, hey, you know, you're not doing this well, or you're doing this in a way which is bringing these results, that's it." I think that, that's one piece. The other piece is to actually look at training models. I mean, there there's so many places you can go to spend some time on I mean, For me, I, I, don't, I wouldn't be as good of a president as I was if I hadn't done the American Council of Education's fellowship for people who want to be presidents. So in 2007, you know, my institution sent me for a year long internship with the president and you walk with that person, you know, I went to board meetings with that person. And so the fact that I have a successful board now here in New Brunswick, I have to attribute to the fact that it was connected to my fellowship where I learned how to work with a board. I wouldn't have known that. I mean, you know, I was thinking about a deacon board, but this is a different board, you know? And so that that was there for me. I think in a lot of places within the church, everybody wants to be the chief steward, you know, before they learn the, the pieces of doing stewardship. And we need more models, we need more opportunities to grow. And that not to be ashamed of that. I mean, there are deficits in all of us.
1: It sounds like your, the way you imagine pastoral life is that people may have capacities in different ways and they still can be an effective pastor that there's not necessarily one way of doing it. That's what it sounds like I'm hearing you say.
2: 100%. I mean, there are people who are strong extroverts um, and strong introverts who both can master preaching but it's done through different vehicles. Um, One through introspection, one through practicing it through the gift of influence of of language. There, you know, you can actually use the, I watched one of my mentors who was a people person. He He wasn't the greatest preacher, but he loved people. And he taught me how to pastor in a sense of the biblical pastoral model, walking with sheep, guiding sheep, governing sheep, you know, and that's that's another way to be successful. Um, I think, you know, each one of the aspects of church, a person can really master those and then bring in gifted others to assist him or her, you know, with the things that, that are not their passion.
0: A word to our listeners. Lott Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lott Carey Global Christian Missional Community has
1: helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world through prayer partnership, financial support, and technical assistance. We come alongside indigenously-led communities to support ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You can invest in churches, schools, clinics, and more throughout the world. Visit us at org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for your partnership in this ministry.
0: Welcome back to the Lot Carry Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, I'm Rev. Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carey's Thriving in Ministry program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague Rev. Dr. David Emmanuel Goatley interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now back to more of his interview with Rev. Dr. Micah L. McQuarrie, President of New Brunswick Theological Seminary in New Brunswick, New Jersey.
1: Can you give us an example of another area of the pastoral side of your life where you had to develop? I mean, you just had to, you weren't quite where either you needed to be or you wanted to be, where you needed to develop. And how did you do that?
2: The action is in the interaction. And I think one of the gifts uh, in graduate school was that. It's the interaction that that happened. It's a person environment fit that goes on, and so I think knowing that when when I got into places, I think my first pastorate um, went well for the first couple years. Um, you know, we went from a small small church um, with thirty thousand dollars coming in to ninety thousand coming in. We built a house for a member in the community. I mean, literally built a house, you know, for a member in the community all these things happening. And then one day I walk into a building committee meeting and my issues were there and I was not yet trained to handle my issues. One issue was older bossy um, family members who are female in gender. Another was black and white issues and they they collided um in that i'm the new 29 year old pastor about to try to build a building and the mother of the church who was a minister of christian education says we don't need a new building we need education space i'm like we're well, in the plan you know we're going to turn the current sanctuary into an education space and build this new worship center and she just wouldn't let it go and of course there was a white architect there and i'm being embarrassed in front of this guy it's my stuff she wasn't embarrassing me and i made the foolish mistake of posturing myself taking off my jacket like i'm the man rolling up my sleeves and i silenced that woman in that church and my loving deacon who i just adored called me that evening and said pastor i've never been so embarrassed of you and for you and it broke my heart um and it was just it, it it was just god's timing that i had just got admitted into the phd program in psychology and was you know deciding what to do or not um but that helped my decision um, to take the money and move on you know and I, but i learned from that that i i need to learn to control my issues and my passions and hopefully um, I've not made that same mistake again. I, I'm much more likely not to listen, to hear, to, to come up with another way to resolve an issue rather than to be very confronted. Cause I can be confronted, I can get up in your face and tell you what I think and feel. Um, and That's just my inner city Detroit self comes out. You know, I, it's who I am. I, I am a black belt in martial art. I love to fight. You know, I have no problem scrapping, but, you can't do that as a leader all the time, you know? And that mistake um, walks with me. I, I, I mean, I've reconciled with her, I'm forgiven, everything's straight, but that's a lesson in life that I will not forget. I think that happens in everyone's life and we don't need to bury those. That, that denial um, is unhealthy. It's really, how do I embrace this? How do I internalize this? How do I learn the lessons from this? and recognize that typically it was an interaction of of a lot of things coming together. How do I master each of those things as I'm moving in in, in my life?
1: That's helpful, thinking about how to anticipate uh, what's going on so that you can watch out uh, for the problem spots. But I'd like to look at the other side of that now, or another side, and ask you, in your uh, trajectory, uh, as uh, uh, your the pastoral side of your life, mm-hmm. what brings you the most joy mm-hmm. as a pastor?
2: Hmm. Two two parts there. One are and is the personal relationship, um, both with Jacqueline, my my partner for life over thirty seven years now, and partner in ministry, um, Makita our daughter in music and so one of the joys was was seeing that synergy um brothers like yourself the synergy was there so that that's that's the one piece of the joy the other piece that i can say now is both looking at ministers i've mentored psychologists i've mentored um and persons i've worked with who are now healthy Um, I got a call this week from someone who was talking to a a person who I had, I had just been friends with, hadn't really been clinical, you know, relationship with. But this person said to them, Micah saved my life. You know, and I'm like, whoa, you know, but you know, that's what I can now see in so many instances, both in clinical practice, in pastoral practice, in administrative practice is the joy for me is i have a history now of people being better than they were when they met me you know um because of their relationship with me and that that's that's a sheer joy that i i I can go home now you know and and be happy with that because i know i i've been faithful um and i I, you know you go back to that first example i gave that didn't happen in that example (laughs) you know so uh it's, it's a good thing to see you know god grow me and in that growing me I've been able to help others grow.
1: What's the best advice that you received about pastoral leadership?
2: One, one piece is it's my motto. It's not what you do that matters, it's what you do with what's been done. And I pretty much live by that. It's it's like a lot of times, I was in a meeting the other night and a person was so upset because they had made it. I, I had said, don't go this way, <laughs> you know? They went that way and it blew up. But I was able to say to the person that, yeah, it blew up. But people were anxious before you made that mistake. Your mistake made them angry. And their anger allowed them to get to the sense of their true emotions in the moment. So to me, it was just a God thing. It was a part of it that you would do that. And so again, it's, it's that, you know, that that's been the best piece. And one of my um clinical supervisors taught me that he says, you know, it's not what you do. It's what you do with what's been done and how you handle that, that really matters. That's probably the best piece that I live by.
1: You said that the person you were talking to, that the folks that the person was interacting with, they were anxious. Yeah. And then something happened and that anxiety became anger. Yeah. Can you say a little more about the relationship between that and is it a progression or is it cyclical or
2: yeah and that's
1: that's an interesting uh, yeah. concept you just shared
2: to me anxiety is much more of a defense um and it, it's it's a reaction it's a worry um and so because we're worried we defend against it and that defense becomes anxiety it's, it's kind of there anger is a god-given emotion wrath gets to be a problem if you get so angry you become wrathful of course then you're in a problem but anger in a sense, makes me not worry about my worry, <laughs> and it makes me deal with what I got to deal with.
1: We have people who who are listening to our conversation and to this series of podcasts from uh, throughout the country and around the world. And so knowing that there are a number of listeners who are uh, either preparing for ministry or they're early in ministry or they even down the road somewhere in ministry what is some advice that you would like to offer to listeners about what they can do
2: Mm -hmm. to flourish in ministry awesome question i think one would be to really practice spiritual disciplines I think too often we get so engaged in ministry we don't do the spiritual practices that, that have been a part of the church from the very beginning that's prayer that's fasting that's meditation that's that's devotions um and i think to daily have a regiment of, of spiritual devotion spiritual discipline um, is a powerful piece of it um, Second, I think of that scripture in in Isaiah 50 verse four that says the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the words that sustain the weary, wakens me morning by morning, but wakens me to listen. I think the second piece is that, you know, we really wanna flourish. We recognize we have the answers. I don't doubt that with any of, of the great leaders in this country, but how do you listen Um, And not just to the words, but to the souls, to the spirits, to the essence of people around you. And with that, it would be to really then live with no regrets. Don't regret what you've done, um, but live in the moments and do the best you can to make the best of those moments.
1: Particularly since you have been a pastor Mm -hmm. and you have been and are a clinical psychologist. So I wanna talk to you as a clinical psychologist who is talking with pastors. What would you advise that pastors need to look out for that if they don't pay attention to it, it could be a hindrance to their thriving in ministry
2: i think it's controlling our passions i think as a pastor you have to be passionate you're passionate about the word you're passionate about whichever aspect of ministry you're then engaged in whether it's raising revenue preaching the word tending to a sheet. but your passion can become your downfall if you don't shape it Model it, perfect it, learn how to use it, and put in place the restraints to that to that passion. You know that could be a restraint where there, there's people who hold you accountable if you know you have this weakness. Uh, you know, you, you, you know, you flipped it on me because I'm I'm I've gone with people who are you know suicidal, people who are you know homicidal, who are church suicidal. They're going to kill their church spiritually, and it's the same passion that brought them success that's now about to destroy them because they haven't looked at how do i with this passion have in place constraints when i go off when i go off course and that would be the piece i'd really say look for those restraints find somebody you can make a phone call to that say you know walk talk you down off the wall talk you down off you know from the bullet whatever you're about to do crazy Cause we all can do crazy, and that's the thing I think we forget about is that you know I'm I'm good I'm good I'm good No you're good now you know and if you don't take care you may not be good next time around you know because it because it builds up and it's it's more the building up of stress It's not one stress but it's when you got you know that perfect storm all those five stressors hit together you know boom you you blow it.
1: We've been in a wonderful conversation
2: with Dr.
1: Micah McCrary, the president of the New Brunswick Theological Seminary in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Thank you, Dr. McCrary, for spending this time with us and for the gift of your wisdom uh, and your insight in flourishing in ministry.
2: Thank you, Dr. Emmanuel Goatley. That's an awesome name, man. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. And thank you for this this honor. I am honored and I'm humbled.
0: Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org.